This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. For those of you that, I think I think I have met everyone. If I haven't met you, my name is Eric. Um, I've been coming to Mosaic Church for 12 or so years now, I think. I don't know, since I, in two, I came in 2009, so what's the math on that? 13 years, right? Math people, sweet, thank you. Um, and I've just been blessed by this church from the moment I walked through the doors, and I've been blessed by our, our pastor and you guys, and I just feel um, honored to be here sharing with you guys. So I'm going to try to go as fast as I can. My brother-in-law, Mason, has been giving me a hard time. He said the guest speaker last Sunday did great and finished early, so we'll see. I make no promises. Uh, I'm just going to start with prayer. So, Lord, we just come before your presence, and we just thank you for your goodness and mercy. I thank you, Lord, because already in our time of worship, you were preparing our hearts, and you were speaking to us, and um, it was just so powerful to see the, the theme of the sermon today be introduced in our worship time, Father God. And we know that that is your Holy Spirit moving as your Holy Spirit preparing us, and as your Holy Spirit working, Lord. So I just thank you for that. I just thank you for everyone here, for everyone um, who's watching, whether you're at home, um, for, our, for our pastors that are traveling and probably watching in the middle of the Atlanta airport. Although we just, we just pray a special blessing upon them, Father God, and just thank you that it doesn't matter where they are, they're still a part of, of your just uh, body, Father. So we thank you, Lord. We pray that today, above all else, you may be glorified. Your name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, I'm going to attempt to preach on uh, suffering today. And uh, I, I, I will not try and tackle uh, why suffering happens or what it occurs and, or why it occurs, why do good people suffer and all those things. But um, I do think it's important to maybe start scratching the surface of how, as believers, we can better respond to people that are suffering. So I won't be able to cover, uh, I mean, this is such a robust topic. And, you know, I, I'm thankful Adam, a couple months ago, started sharing, and he, you know, he talked about uh, mental health and, and how to work through that. I think that Pastor Mario, a couple weeks ago, shared on spirit-led hospitality, and that's really going to uh, partner well with this. Our guest speaker last week, Corey Fernandez, did an awesome job, and he talked about kindness, and that's going to just walk along well with this as well. So I would encourage you to go back to the YouTube page, go to the um, Mosaic Church podcasts. If you don't know that we have one of those, one and a half speed it, you'll be done in no time. But I think all these things, the Lord has really been preparing us, and, and hopefully for this moment, I know he's been preparing me. But because I can't cover everything, I do want to recommend two resources before I get started. So there's two books that I've been looking into. Um, the first one is called We Too, and uh, I have, I've actually had a chance to finish that one. It talks about how the church can respond to um, uh, sexual abuse, right, and how we walk along survivors and help, help people regain that image of, of Christ that they might feel like it's been taken from them from that in that time of abuse, powerful book. I highly recommend it. And I'm currently working through Suffering in the Heart of God 
and I can't, my eyes aren't that good, but I believe it says how, how trauma destroys and God and Christ restores. Um, so I've been working through that one now, and it's, it has been, I, I try not to recommend, like take this time to like recommend books and stuff, but those two have been instrumental in these, I don't know, past year or so in helping me kind of work through this. So I will start with a quote from Dr. Diane Langberg. Langberg. She wrote Suffering in the Heart of God. And I'm, I'm probably going to reference her a lot because uh, she has like over 50 years of experiencing with trauma victims all over the world. And she does it from uh, a place of humility of knowing who Christ is and who she is because of Christ. So I'm very thankful for her life that she could be a blessing even from a, dist- even from a distance. So... In her book, she starts off by just saying, suffering is. That's all she says. And she begins to talk about how, when she says suffering is, just the fact that everyone experiences suffering, right? There's no, uh, you know, good people experience suffering, bad people experience suffering, um, people who are wealthy, people who are in poverty, people of all demographics. It doesn't matter where you are. At some point in your life, you will experience suffering. So she gets to this conclusion that suffering is, and for us, that shouldn't be uh, too much of a surprise, right? Because the scripture talks about suffering all the time, right? Enduring through suffering, how uh, suffering is going to perfect our faith. Our our Savior, who we worship, came to this world um, and and suffered for us, and we're going to get to that. But just more on this this, uh, concept of suffering Uh, I'm a teacher, and recently there's been a big push in the education world uh, to what we call trauma-informed care, right? So uh, I had the definition, but I left it. Trauma is essentially how we respond to an adverse experience or to a traumatic event. And we started, we had this whole professional training on um, trauma-informed care, and we talked about something called adverse childhood experiences. We call those, we call it ACE for short. Has anyone heard of ACE? Yes, yes, awesome. Um, so we, we talk about ACE. So ACE is a, it's a, it's a questionnaire that they give kids or adults, right? And it looks at adverse experiences in their childhood. So things that happen before the age of 18. Okay, so traumatic events that would have happened before the 18, before the age of 18. So you look at a question, you answer it. If you answer, it's yes or no. If you answer yes, you get a point. All right, if you answer yes, you get another point. Now, what, you, what, you, what you'll see is as you get more points, right, that means that your A score is higher, which means that as a child, you've experienced more trauma than maybe, you know, um, someone else. But they look at things like losing a family member suddenly, all right? It could be because of, you know, maybe some, there was, someone was sick and they passed away. Maybe there was a, you know, divorce in the family. Um, any, for any reason that you would have lost a family, family member suddenly, you would have gotten uh, a score of one. If you ever suffer from food insecurity, right? So you, as a kid, you weren't sure if you were going to be able to, to eat the next day, right? We have, the reality that we have is that we have students in our classrooms that when they're not in school, they don't know where they're going to get their next meal, right? That's why, you know, Leon County tries to do the PB&J drive so we can offer food to kids when during the summer, um, during COVID, there was a big, um, 
food kind of uh, giveaway. And that's why we try and keep schools open as much as we can because a lot of kids in our own community uh, here in the Big Bend that suffer from food insecurity. Um, it asks about questions of abuse, right? Were you physically abused, emotionally abused, um, sexually abused, and all these things, right? If you answer yes, you get a point. So I was looking at a study and it said that 57.8% of individuals uh, were a part of this study experienced at least one ACE score. Now, this, these numbers change as you get into different groups, right? So if we look at minority groups, right, the ACE scores tends to be higher. If we look at um, women, right, those scores tend to be higher. I was talking to my brother, and they did a whole ACE study on, um, they're not, troops coming into the military, right? He's a, he's a captain in the U.S. Army, and they specifically started focusing on ACE scores of incoming troops. And they began to see that most of the troops that they were trying to train had an ACE score of four or higher. And to give you context, that's a lot, right? An ACE score of four or higher is a lot. I believe it's out of 10. So we know that they're suffering, right? And what we've learned from these ACE scores, there was a study from the Boston University that the higher the A score, it can lead to things like physical illnesses. So they've seen kids develop things like asthma, um, uh, stomach issues, migraines. So you have physical illnesses that are a result from their reaction to trauma. There can be uh, social emotional issues. It could lead to, you know, the, those higher the score get, when you get to like four A scores, you're more likely to experience substance abuse. When you get to those four, you're more likely to experience other kinds of adverse um, experiences as a child. And again, this is all before the age of 18. This isn't even talking about people that experience trauma, you know, in adulthood. So the list goes on and on and on. Kids can't focus in school. They start acting out. And all it takes is one A score to begin to see these things manifest themselves in a kid's heart. So there's just one moment of suffering. We see that sometimes it then the, the probability of those people, those children, maybe then abusing others, right? That goes up. So suffering is, right? There was another study that I saw. They studied 24 countries throughout the world. I believe the United States was in the top five for highest ACE scores. So Dr. Landberg says that trauma is a new mission field. And I think I've said that before. So I think we have a responsibility to begin to dive into how can we respond to trauma? How can we respond to suffering as, as believers in Christ? And that second song, right, we said, Lord, give me your heart so I can walk into the dark. Right? I, I, like, it was, I was just overwhelmed because I didn't talk to Joanne about what I was preaching or anything like that. Only, you know, Maylise knows. Um, and I feel like that song just shared exactly what I'm going to share. But I'm going to go anyway, so I'm not going to cut it short. Um, but what I do want to share is that what I, all, the, all the statistics I shared with you are not taking into consideration a couple things, right? So you could have a high A score, but those probabilities of emotional um, illness, physical illness, depression, substance abuse, all these things can be severely diminished with what we call ACEs support. So close relationships with competent caregivers Right, so it's the importance of looking at counseling, right? People that are, are trained to deal with these adverse experiences, right? We go to, we, you know, we, 
we break our arm, we go to the emergency room. We don't try and fix it ourselves, right? So we, should, we, we treat our trauma, we treat our suffering the same way. There's some things that we just need competent caregivers for, and we don't look down upon anyone for that. Another thing that helps is communities that support health and development, concrete support for parents and families, having a sense of purpose, social connection. So I was in a training and I heard these things and that's where, oh, I didn't snap well. It's my left hand. That's where, that's where it hit me. Communities that support health and development, concrete support for parents and families, having a sense of purpose, social connections. I believe that the Lord has been preparing the church for this all along. I had an uh, awesome opportunity to drive with uh, Daniel and Lavella to Wild Adventures this week. And Daniel was sharing about how, how Lavella is uh, in gardening right now, right? And she, before she puts a seed in the ground, right, or brings a, a plant over, before she transplants into the garden, she's preparing the soil. She's giving it the nutrients and, and everything that it needs so that when the plant is placed in the garden, it can thrive. And, I, and, and in that moment, I told you I was going to steal this, Daniel. Thank you. Um, in that moment, right, I also said, oh my goodness, that, I feel like that's what the Lord does with the church, right? He begins, he brings us together, he prepares the soil so that when people enter the doors, right, and they're, and they're transplanted into the community of Christ, into the holy borderless church that we talk about, they have the opportunity to thrive and grow. So as I'm looking at this, I start to think about, I think there's two ways that, there's a lot of ways we get our response to suffering and trauma wrong, but there's two ways that kind of stood out to me. One, we avoid others, and by doing so, therefore, we avoid their suffering, right? We sit down in the pew next to them, we sit down in the office next to them, we might have lunch with them at work, but we try to keep it as superficial as possible because I don't want to enter into your mess. I got my own things to deal, to deal with. And again, I would encourage you, go back and listen to Pastor Mario's sermon on uh, spiritually led hospitality. And the second one that I feel is really scary for me is that we respond from a place of self-righteousness. Right, we act like we know why they're suffering when we don't. We act like we know how to fix it when we don't. Right, some of the most accomplished people in the field of dealing with trauma will tell you that they don't know, they might not know how to fix it, right? But they might know how to walk along somebody, walk alongside somebody and help them get through it. We convince ourselves that if someone is suffering, it must be from their own doing. So I came across this word, uh, I was reading a book, it's called um, Civil War is a Theological Crisis. And it talks, is, the word is prov, providential, providentialism. So it's the idea of providence, right? So there were uh, Christians in America who were slave owners and they justified it because they said, Things are going well, right? Economy is booming. We are financially blessed. Therefore, I feel like I'm in a Mike's class right now. He teaches philosophy. He does like 
word math. It's really cool. Talk to him about it. Therefore, if everything is going well, then the Lord must be glorifying this institution of slavery, right? And there's people that believe that. And I think that we still carry that with us sometimes, right? If someone is doing well, it's because God's favor is upon them. But then the flip side of that, that we might not realize subconsciously, is that if someone is not doing well, then the favor of God must not be upon them. And that couldn't be further from the truth, right? Look at the story of Job. We're going to talk about Paul here in 2 Corinthians. These were people that loved the Lord, that were good people, that were serving others, that were faithful, but yet they still suffered. So I need to begin to myself get rid of that that is putrid way of thinking that, you know, your circumstances must be equivalent to God's favor or love upon you. And that's what's scary to me because when we look at Job's friends or, or the members of the church in, in Corinth, right, they were looking at his friends, Job, they were believers. They, they were, you know, believers before the Holy Spirit came. So they knew the, the word at that time, they knew God, but even then they missed it, right? Even then they were putting all the blame on the victim that was Job who was going through all these things. The church in Corinth, there were people that were literally saying, Paul, you suffer too much to be spirit filled. There's no way that you're saved. There's no way that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. How could it be if you're suffering so much? So I pray that we may rid ourselves of that thinking, even if there's a small seed of it in our heart, of that self-righteousness and that pride that thinks that we know better. So I want to look at Second um, Corinthians. So again, the context of it is Paul has just written a letter to the, Corinth, the church in Corinth um, because he, he's suffering. He's in affliction, if you read the Second Corinthians, the words affliction, downcast are all over the place. Because these brothers that he's broken bread with, he's, you know, shared the gospel with, shared the good news, they, they, they've turned on him, right? They've said, there's no way you know Christ, you're suffering too much. So, he, so Paul is in a very low place. And this is, this is, this is the man that had the, the you know, the, the, his conversion, think about his conversion story. Right? How amazing it is. So we can't just say that, oh, he's, he's never going to experience suffering. He's never going to experience affliction. Right? Because that's just not how it works. We're in a broken and fallen world. So I want to read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm look at verses 5 through 10. And we can never uh, do it all justice. So I would recommend reading the whole chapter if you can. I'm going to see you. Um, a response here to suffering. It says, for even when we came into Macedonia, this is Paul speaking, goes, our bodies had no rest. Right, we know what that's like, right? To feel no rest. Not, I'm not talking about just like I haven't slept. I'm talking about literally like that, that, that lack of peace and rest from lack of sleep, exhausting work. You've been dealing with your own thoughts in your head over and over and over of, of what's happening to you and how exhausting that can be. But we are afflicted at every turn, fighting without fear, fighting without and with fear within. But God who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, 
and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, amen, whereas worldly grief produces death. So there's two words I want to look at there, right? Comfort and downcast. So when we look at comfort, right, in the Greek, it's paraklesis, 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 paraklesis. And comfort means to come alongside, to encourage, to cheer up, to exhort. So it says, but the God who comforts, right? But the God who comes alongside us, who encourages us, who cheers us up, who exhorts us, exhorts the downcast, right? Downcast means to be depressed. So we serve a God who comes alongside us and comfort us. And that's the answer right there. I think that's where we start with how we respond to people in suffering. We come alongside them, which is very different from coming from a place of, I know why you're in this. You just need to do X, Y, Z, right? The, the friends of Job said, you need to do this. You need to repent. You need to do all these things. But that's not even what God does. God comes alongside us and walks with us through those things. And I find it amazing that the God of comfort, the God that we believe, right, created everything, could have done a number of things to take away Paul's suffering. He could have just spoken it, right? He could have just said, suffer no more, my son. Or he could have, you know, snapped a finger. He could, he could have done so many things. But what does he do? But the God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. So out of all the things he could do, God sent Titus. God sent someone to bring comfort. God sent someone to walk alongside Paul. Paul, who had seen so many amazing things, who had, who had felt the presence of God in a mighty way in that moment, in his suffering, God, who knows all things, decided that the best way to comfort Paul's suffering was to send his brother in Christ, was to send his friend. And how powerful is that? But also... You know, how, what's the word I'm looking for? How, how challenging, convicting, scary? Because that means that God is also going to send us. So uh, Dr. Lamberg in her book, she talks about how when we're stepping into the places of suffering, we're just following in the footsteps of Jesus. Right? He did it first. In Luke, he starts off his ministry by saying, the spirit of Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So we have a creator who sees suffering, doesn't stay in heaven, but instead sends his son to earth to walk alongside us, to get into the messiness of our suffering, and he gives up his body in order to do that. And Dr. Lamberg says this awesome thing. He says he's still giving his body today, but it just looks different. It looks like you and me. And his body looks like the church of Christ throughout the entire world. So he gave his body on the cross and he's still giving his body today. So what does it look like to be like Titus? So a couple years ago, um, it was a Sunday, just like any Sunday, and right here, there was a, a young lady who came to church and she dragged her friend with her. Um, and my awesome wife, Maylise, I would meet and greet intermission. She beelines it to this young lady. And usually, you know, we try to be respectful of people. Um, sometimes on the, on the first, in the first day you're here, we try to not, you know, switch phone numbers or overwhelm you or anything like that. But that day was different. You know, I, I, I feel now that it was definitely the Holy Spirit leading me least. So she speaks to both these young ladies. She said, hey, here's my number. Let's, let's grab some coffee. All right, let's, let's meet up. And lo and behold, she reached out to Maylise and, and they went and they got some coffee. And they sat down for coffee and Maylise didn't know this, but when they, when they sat down, this young lady just starts pouring her heart out to Maylise, who she's known for five minutes. And she's telling her about all these things that she has gone through and that she suffered through. And um, you, you have a gift. People just... I don't know, the, the spirit of the Lord is, is comforting in you and people just want to speak to you. I'm grateful for that. And over coffee, she just starts sharing all these things that people don't even share with best friends sometimes. And in that moment, you know, there's a lot of things Maylise could have said or done, but she just listened. She was there. She invited her to our home. He said, hey, come over, have dinner, meet my family, right? We're going back to those supports that we're talking about, providing a community, meet my family, sit down, watch TV with us. And she took us up on that offer. She came to our home, and he's made an awesome dinner. We hung out, we watched TV, we, we, we talked, we laughed. And in that moment, that's what Titus looks like, right? Walking alongside somebody hearing their stories and deciding to love them, deciding to give them your time and attention because in doing so, we reaffirm the stamp of Christ on their lives. Because when we go through these traumatic events, right, I believe the enemy starts to chip away at the image of Christ in our lives. He wants us to see ourselves as less than. But when we step into those moments and we, we walk alongside people, we begin to reaffirm God's love and mercy and image upon them. And she did that. I'm so blessed by that. So now how do we become like Titus? And like I mentioned before, who ultimately was just following in the footsteps of Jesus. 
who didn't, you know, we talked about that first, that, that first reason why we don't step into suffering, right? We ignore people. So how do we become like Titus who didn't ignore the suffering of Paul, who didn't self-righteously tell him, you will, that what did you do to deserve this, right? That comes up a lot. We see someone experience something and we ask, well, I wonder what they did. That's not what Titus did. So I think as we look at the scriptures, right, we look at 2 Corinthians, there's, um, there's some, some things that we can look at to be like our father, to be like Jesus, right, who in his ministry, he stepped into the lives of people, right? The woman caught in adultery, he came alongside her and offered grace and mercy to the tax collectors. He ate with them, right? When Lazarus, when, when Lazarus passed away, knowing that he was going to bring him back to life, he still wept. He was in the moment, in the suffering with his sisters, and he still wept with them. So how can we be like that? How can we be a Titus to those around us? It starts with, I think, grieving before the God of comfort. I'm going to quote Dr. Lamberg again. She's awesome. If you're on Twitter, follow her on Twitter. It has been one of the most life-giving follows. Uh, she says, if you would bring the power of the resurrection to bear in the lives of the traumatized, right? Or let's just say the lives of the suffering, you must begin on your knees, repentant and seeking the work of God in your own life. So we grieve before the God of comfort in the beginning of 2 Corinthians, it says he comforts us and we know that he comforts us so that we can comfort others, but we grieve before him first, we bear our soul before the God of comfort, the God that's going to walk alongside us. I think about two years ago, I had, a, I had a moment where I had a brother in Christ who was sharing his testimony. And he, he shared just, you know, this, these traumatic experiences from childhood. I, I, if I had to assume his A score is probably eight or 10. And as he shared... And I've heard this principle of like openness elicits openness. So as he was open and as he was talking about what he went through and has, as how God comforted him, it really impacted my heart, right? And it caused me to then go back home and share something with Maylise um, that up until that point in our eight years of marriage, I had never, I had never shared. It's something that I had experienced um, as a child. And I remember that she, she held me, she grieved with me, she weeped with me. And I just felt, I just felt this comfort from our heavenly father. But if I hadn't had the opportunity to grieve before the Lord, right? We need to get rid of this notion that we can't lament or grieve, right? Read the Psalms, read Lamentations. Right? It's okay because when we bring those things before the Lord, that, that resurrection power begins to, to resonate in our lives. But we can't comfort others until we grieve before the God of comfort. We need to deal with the dungeons of our own heart, with our own trauma, with our own experiences, with our own suffering, so that then we can walk alongside others from a place of knowing who God is. So two, once God begins to work in us, we seek to comfort those around us. 
go back to, to that, that sermon on spiritually led hospitality. Go back to last week's sermon on kindness. We rely on the Holy Spirit to begin to show us who we need to bring comfort to. Who do we need to bring into our space? Who do we need to offer what God has offered to us? We talk about the parable of the talents, right? Being good students, being good stewards of the gifts that God has given us. Comfort is a gift. It's not just like musical talents. It's not just like, you know, speaking talents. But comfort is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Love is a gift. So when those things are given to us, we give it back. So we can be like Titus. Like I could only imagine, right? Who knows where Titus was at the time. It must have been a Holy Spirit leading that said you need to go be with your brother Paul right now. And number three says, we, after we've grieved before the God of comfort, after we seek to comfort those around us, we trust God to do the work of resurrection. We trust God to do the work of resurrection because the process of healing is not a linear process and it's different for everyone. And we cope and we grieve differently. And that's okay. That's how we were made. But we comfort those around us for as, as much as we can, for as long as we can, by the grace and mercy of God, whether we see the outcome or we don't. So that young lady that I was sharing about, um, you know, I wish I could say that she's here with us, and I wish I could say that um, she's part of our church and all those things, but I do have, I think, maybe something even better. She, uh, for lack of a better word, just completely ghosted Maylise. So she opened up, shared all of this suffering and trauma. She was in our home. She hung out with our kids. She ate food. And after that, just completely left her on red, left her on open, if, if you will. So Maylise continued, right? Every month or so, she'd reach out, hey, how are you doing? Let me know if you want to come to our small group. Let me know if you want to come back for dinner. Nothing. Time after time. And it was discouraging, right? Because what, did we do something wrong? But we continue to trust in the Lord. We continue to pray for her. So I think maybe, was it a year after? Maybe two years after? Maylise gets a text. I'm going to read it to you. It says, hi. I just wanted to say that I'm sorry I never responded to you. But I hope that you know it wasn't personal at all. We didn't know that at the time. She says, it was just so hard for me to do anything that I knew was good for me. The process is different for everyone. But I wanted you to know that you were genuinely such a blessing to me. Part of me had been asking God for a sign that he still cared about me. And having someone like you reach out to me and be consistent even when I wasn't meant so, so much to me and showed me that God's not finished with me. I've moved back home to Tampa. I'm doing really well and just wanted to thank you for everything because it seriously meant more than you know. So if we trust God to do the work of resurrection because it's not about us. We've been comforted so that we can comfort. We grieve to welcome the God of comfort into our lives. We walk alongside the people around us 
and we trust God to do what only God can do. So, um, you know, I want to start wrapping up, but I've never done like a call to response or altar call or anything like that. And I don't, I don't know what I'm, where I'm going right now, but uh, with the second, with the second song, it really, I don't know, something, um, the Holy Spirit. Um, I do want to take this time and our entire worship team is like downstairs serving because that's how awesome they are. They do music ministry and then they go downstairs and lead our children. Uh, but it doesn't matter because God is here and God is present. But I do want to take some time where uh, you don't need to come to the front or anything like that. But if we can uh, close our eyes, um, bow our heads. Uh, if, you, if you feel in this moment that the Lord is calling you to grieve before him. If you feel that you need the comfort of your heavenly father that's going to walk alongside you and encourage you and lift you up. Uh, if you want to just go ahead and, and raise your hand, I would love to, to pray with you. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters who are courageous enough, Lord, to raise their hand and say that we need you, Father. To bear our hearts before you, our scars, our hurts, knowing that you were a savior that was scarred and you were beaten and you suffered. And because of that, Lord, we can lay it at your feet, Father. We grieve, Father, and we don't rush through that moment because we know that you're working through the grieving, Father. We know that you're working through the confession of what has happened to us, Lord. You know, like, like Corey shared last week in that story, of Mephibosheth, Lord, how his suffering wasn't even his own doing. And we know that for a lot of us, that might be the case, Lord Jesus, but we bring it before your altar. And we thank you, Lord, that you walk alongside us, Father God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord. You comfort us like no other, Father. And the second part of this, if... If you would just, um, if you would just, you know, Pastor Mario talks about a blessing to us is, is um, application. So if you're willing to say, Lord, help me to be aware of the suffering around me, right? We sang about it. Lord, give me your heart. You're going to say, Lord, help me to comfort others the way you have comforted me. If you're willing to say, Lord, help me to walk alongside others the way you've walked alongside me. And go ahead and raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Father God, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that even though the process isn't clean, even though it's very messy and it can be up and down, we're grateful, Lord, that you are in the midst of it all, Father. And we pray, Lord, that you may give us hearts to see the suffering around us, Lord Jesus. Just how many least, you know, there was a young lady that was sitting next to 
a bunch of people, Father God, how easily it could have been to just say hello and send her on her way, Father. But your Holy Spirit led us, Lord, to walk into that space, Father, and be what you've called us to be, Lord. Help us, Lord, to deal with our own, with our own past, with our own hurts, Father, so that in doing so, we may walk in obedience to those around us, that we may comfort those around us, Father God. Help us to do so in humility. Help us to do so with grace, with love. And help us, Father, to just leave the results to you, Father God, that we may not be results-driven, we may be kingdom-driven, Father. And we may be driven by your heart and by your mercy and knowing that you will do the work of resurrection, Father. And what a privilege it is that you allow us to walk alongside you in that work, Lord Jesus. Amen. So again, I just want to encourage us, grieve before the God of comfort, seek to comfort those around us, and trust God to do the work of resurrection. So Lord, as we close in, in um, prayer, we just thank you for your goodness and mercy. I thank you, Father God, because you are working in me, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Father God, because you have sent so many people into my life to walk alongside me and, and love me even when I've shared when I've shared things that have tried to steal my peace or have tried to steal the stamp of my creator on my life, Lord. I pray for a special blessing for everyone here, Father, for everyone at home. Be with them, comfort them, but that we may not be blind to the suffering of those around us, Lord Jesus. Be with our pastors as they travel. Be with those who are sick at home. Oh, we're so grateful that we serve a risen Savior, a Savior that stepped into the messiness of our lives so that we can be in communion with you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.